Welcome to the January CPI Podcast. I'm your host this afternoon, Gina Elliott-Prue. Joining me today is local photographer and designer, Guillermo Ubia. Of, of course, we all call him G. Local wedding photographer, Lisa Bricker, and the director of the CPI, and also a freelance photographer, Nick Strokia. Hey, everybody. How are you guys doing? Hi. Hello. Welcome to the Year of the Dragon. I it's, didn't know that. Yeah, Chinese New Year's today. It started today. It is now the year of the dragon, so you need to make sure you write that on your checks correctly. Fantastic. And I looked this up <laughs> because it pertains a lot to tonight's podcast, uh, to, the, uh, to the podcast we're talking about, and it's considered one of the luckiest of the, uh, of the years, and it's also considered one that's very prosperous. And I think that has you know, maybe some, a little nugget for all of us photographers out there for some of the things coming up in the CPI this year. That's great. Uh, Absolutely. Let's hold that one. Let's hold that thought as we talk about what's going on this month at the CPI. But first, let's find out what everybody's up to. Um, obviously, shooting. Um, we've had a lot of winter time, maybe not quite so many gigs, but still, there's a camera there. Gee, what have you been doing lately? What have you been shooting of late? She, not not a whole lot, honestly. I'm I'm taking January and doing a lot of business planning, so I'm in the middle of rewriting my business plan and, and sort of long-term budget projections and all this other boring stuff I'm trying to get out of the way now so I can do some more shooting and some more traveling once we get to February and March. Well, now, you also had a recent show. So so you have shown some work recently. Talk a little about that. Yeah, I did. I shot most of that at the end of last year. It was a series of black and white nudes, and I finally got a chance to put them all together and show them in January, and it was great. I had a great time. Really appreciate everybody that came out to take a look at them, and I think I got a taste of what a gallery show is all about and already trying to plan another one. Outstanding. It was beautiful work, too. I enjoyed looking at it myself. Uh, now, Elisa, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet in person, but I have had the pleasure of looking at your work, and it's glorious. I looked at it this evening before the, the, pro the podcast started to be recording. Um, can you tell us what you've been working on in the past month or so? Well, thanks, Gina, very much for the compliment. Um, I'm so pleased that you, you've seen our work and you enjoyed it. Um, so we essentially just finished up our 2011 wedding season, and um, we had three beautiful couples in December that we photographed. So now we're gearing up for a 2012 wedding season by kind of looking at um, at our year. This is a busy booking time of year, so this is a a time where I get to sit down and meet with and talk to brides about what they're planning for the year. So I get really excited about January and February, even though I'm not behind the camera as much as I usually am. And also just this past weekend, we um, created a editorial project. We have the opportunity during the slow season to do more personal projects. And so uh, we took advantage of that this past weekend in the cold outside, <laughs> um, but had a beautiful session and a lovely time. Oh, wow. I look forward to seeing some of that work possibly in the future. That'll look, I bet that looks fantastic. Now, one last person to check with, or at least, uh, last but not least, anyway, Nick. <laughs> Nick, now you've been doing a lot with, uh, you know, with the good military folks. You've been away a while. Have you been shooting while you were away? Uh, unfortunately, I have not, but um, but much like G, I've been working on a lot of the back-end stuff. I actually spent the last week um, doing a lot of CPI stuff. 
I'm also turning towards my business. And recently I was contacted by Getty through Flickr and they want to represent um, X number of images that I have. So uh, even though that might sound neat, there's a, a ton of back-end work and a lot of it involves getting these printed model release forms back to subjects to sign off on and it's a pretty inclusive package so um, that's been taking up a lot of my days and also I have a lot of uh, multimedia and video work that's been carried over from 2011 towards the about the fall time frame I finally started getting a little more serious with the video and with the audio and just started recording like crazy and, and the aftermath now is that I'm spending hours and hours in post-production but fortunately there's a there's a light at the end of the tunnel and, and my turnaround time is starting to get a little shorter my vision a little bit clearer so uh so it's been good i guess like much like everybody else just been spending time indoors doing a little editorial work here and there for um the SIBO weekly and i have my first wedding of 2012 coming up in february so um, excited for all that looking forward to the year of the dragon it's almost like you guys needed the winters to sort of hunker down and get ready for what's coming next. Um, and I think that's a lot of photographers do that this time of year. 2012, it's time to think forward. Uh, it's time to think about what's coming up next. Nick, now you had a lot of things you were looking forward to for 2012 with respect to the CPI. And some of it has to do with maybe members and supporters maybe stepping up just a little bit more in 2012, maybe building some of their own confidence and sharing their own knowledge. Why don't you talk a little about that? Yeah, absolutely. And to anybody who's read our January newsletter, we announced our new mission statement and our new vision and goals. And a big part of our mission statement for 2012 is, as we're focusing on programming, um, up until this point, we had really kind of remained a little nebulous. If you looked at our mission statement, it was about creating an open, fun, and friendly atmosphere. And, and while that's great and all, uh, we were able to achieve um, a, a, our goal of bringing uh, a large number of photographers into the fold, into our, uh, or underneath our rooftop. So going forward, we're going to focus more on programming. And over the next couple podcasts and the next couple newsletters, I just want to reinforce that um, programming is open to anyone. And programming, I use the word programming, but it's synonymous with events. We want, uh, we want people to bring their talents to the CPI. And, and I'm glad uh, Elisa joined us. And she's going to be talking about her workshop a little later on. But um, I want to reinforce that anybody can teach a workshop. Anybody has some kind of talent or some kind of interest or just wants to bring people together under the... Uh, in the name of one, uh, photography interests, portrait, macro, landscape, whatnot, um, the CPI is there to facilitate that. And uh, I'm looking forward to programming in 2012, and I hope that more people will uh, come up and, and offer up their services and offer up their interests, and we can get some great stuff on the schedule. I think you have a really great plan there, and I think some some folks listening might think that they don't have quite what it has that quite what they need to stand up in front of a group and talk but it's important to note that it, this is a pretty forgiving audience that everybody is pretty friendly with each other and if you don't have a lot of public speaking experience this is a great opportunity to develop that yeah, it's absolutely. It's it's a great way for people to cut their teeth. And you know, as photographers these days, or just as visual storytellers, you you really have to have that multiple multiple disciplinary approach. And uh, I always encourage professionals or anybody budding or aspiring professionals to get out there um, and teach. And uh, you know, it's a pretty low threshold. I think what people think when they get in front of an audience, they have to completely wow them and knock them down. And and I, whenever I teach a workshop, I stick to three points. And if those people can walk away with three points, then I consider it mission accomplished. But I let, agree. Me, let me turn it back. We actually have somebody in our panel that's done this before. So, G, what is your experience with programming? And uh, and what, talk to us about some of the workshops that you've hosted because, I, I mean, it's only been recent that you've been teaching, right? 
in terms of teaching photography, yes, it's been it's been just the the last half of last year. But I've got a few more workshops in the work for the next few months. And just like you were saying, I think it's more important to be. You, you don't have to be the the best expert on a certain topic to be able to go up and teach it. You certainly have to know it and be able to explain it. But it's almost as important or more important to be able to be personable, to be able to understand questions and to be able to answer questions. And just like you said, the best way to learn something is to be able to teach it. So if there's something you want to get really, really good at, develop a, a class, develop a workshop, practice teaching it, and then offer it to others. And you'll learn so much yourself about that subject. I, I've gotten a lot from the teaching I've done so far, and, and I'm really looking forward to the ones I have coming up. And you're an excellent teacher, too. And I believe there's two different skill sets here. There's the skill set of knowing how to do the photography, you know, the, the thing you're trying to do with photography. And then there's the ability to verbally impart it. And both have their place with practice. You need to massage both of those muscles and get them going. And this is a great opportunity to do it. A very friendly audience. And, and frankly, a lot of times you're just facilitating a large discussion and not necessarily having to provide every single answer because of the varying abilities in the room. So I, I suggest everyone consider it. I know I'm looking for something myself personally to offer. Um, so hopefully I'll be adding to the programming of, programming of 2012 myself. And Gina, just to jump in here too, programming also is, is a really nebulous concept too. So if, for instance, if you wanted to host a gallery, if you wanted to host a social, if you um, you know had a, a group of mommy photographers or uh, wedding photographers that all just wanted a place to get together, uh, that, that falls under the blanket of programming too with CPI. So we're not just necessarily talking about getting up and teaching a workshop. That's just one small piece of the entire CPI puzzle. That is a fine point to bring up. Uh, that is, that's, that's a very big deal too because if you're not into like a lot of faces looking at you, well, you can, you can host a, a social and you're still doing your part with the CPI and having some fun too. Lots of fun. Lots of fun. Well, all right. Well, let's move away from uh, you know the, the plans for 2012 and talk a little bit about what was going on last year and move into the activities that's already occurred in the winter of 2012. Uh, December shoot-off, I didn't get to participate, frankly, because my day was overbooked. But I really liked the theme that you chose of view and how people chose to you know, interpret that. What does view mean? Is it you know, is it looking out the window? Is it seeing, you know, a variety of ways that people did it? And uh, I think, who was our, uh, our judge for December? It was, it was Tammy Kiefer. Okay, excellent. Tammy Kiefer, she's a fantastic photographer. She won the CPI's um, photography contest this year back in June as well. Um, I, sh I, now, I have never announced the winners before. I guess I'll start with third place uh, for the view theme. And that was for the December shoot-off. Paul Murphy. Uh, won third place uh, for his toilet, and everyone thought that was pretty groovy. Um, I also want to give a congratulations to Patrick Meyer for second place. He did a backlit model that was also very beautiful and a very interesting way to uh, interpret view. And the first place goes to R. Stillings and a stairwell. And also that was a very interesting image as well. Congratulations to the winner and the place. Um, can you tell them what they've won? Yes. So they're going to be getting a $25 gift certificate to um, Pro Camera Charlottesville. And then also one of our newest sponsors, Think Tank Photo. Um, everyone's going to laugh when I say this prize, but they have a, a what's called a, a Pee Wee Pocket Rocket, 
which is <laughs> like their little memory card holder. <laughs> and if any of you guys have, it's a, I've seen this, like people giggle about it all the time, but uh, it's pretty rad. I have one with my uh, Urban Disguise 50. It's like a little trifold wallet and it holds memory cards. So they sent us a dozen of those and we're going to be handing those out. And, um, and also too, behind the scenes, I've been trying to get uh, tied into more affiliate programs and get more sponsors. So I'm hoping to bring um, some more cash and some more meat to the uh, December shoot-offs. We've had a really good um, turnout with those, and I just want to keep on facilitating that uh, creative endeavor and, and people participating. And, and if it means um, incentives, quote-unquote, then by all means, we'll be happy to provide them. I think the shoot-off is one of the funnest things the CPI does, primarily because it reminds you just how easy it is to include photography in your day. I, I know when I participate, my camera just is slung around my neck for the day as I parent my child, and you realize just how much you're not looking at sometimes. So the shoot-off, I think, is a great... Uh, exercise for photographers of all skill sets. Now, January, the January shoot-off also had a great theme. Nick, you want to talk about that one? Yeah, absolutely. So the uh, the theme was white. Um, don't ask me where I got that from, but well, I, I guess I was anticipating uh, snow coming down, and yeah. I, I'm not necessarily, that's not to say that all the themes for each month are going to be corresponding with the uh, what's, what's apropos, but um, it was great. We've had an awesome turnout. We only had five no-shows, which is something that I'm trying to strive for, higher attendance numbers. So that was dynamite. Um, also, too, the entries were really, really impressive. And just something I've noticed, and I know I've mentioned it on this podcast before, or hopefully I've mentioned, is that um, I've seen people's abilities just leapfrog, it seems like. And yes. white was a huge curveball. I thought people's brains were just going to like seize up and stop. And uh, <laughs> you guys were going to come to my house and kick down my door. But uh, no, everybody jumped up and uh, we saw some really, really creative stuff. The The judge for the January shoot-off is going to be Ron Dressel. And we're going to release the, um, the results of that on the February podcast. And I also want to use this opportunity to, um, to answer some of the questions that we got from supporters. I, I talked with a couple people during the Adobe Camera Raw workshop. And uh, one, people are asking about changing the times, and um, I, I've listened to the questions, and I'm still leaning towards keeping times the way they are, and I think maybe if I explain it, people will be a little bit clearer. The, the shoot-off is intended to simulate um, like a news desk or, uh, for instance, in the military, you know, an assignment will come down, and you have a very short amount of time to be able to shoot it and put it together. Now, in that short amount of time, there's a lot of... I, I would I say force, but I say it the most innocent way. But you have to be on your toes and you have to think creatively about the assignment. I think by changing the time frame and making it longer or making it earlier, we're kind of mudding that whole concept. That's the baseline concept of the shoot off is is getting out there and dashing and, and making those creative um, images happen in a short period of time. So I'm still not very apt to uh, change the times that we have set. Um, also with posting the results, I know we got a little pushback on that. And just to be clear about this, so we are announcing the uh, December shoot-off results here, and then in the February newsletter, excuse me, the February newsletter, we're going to announce them again. So you're going to get the results first in the podcast, and then again in the newsletter. And with posting the results um, between these two mediums, we're trying to encourage our supporters to get more integrated into the CPI. We put a, a lot of content, and we also put a lot of time into this content, and we hope that you guys are reading it and, uh, and benefiting from it. And, and that's why we're, we're continuing, I guess, with business as is. All right, let's move on to some other activities that the CPI has been uh, 
participating in. Gee, now you had a studio model shoot recently. I got to go to this, but I'd rather hear your your overall sort of vision for the model shoot that you had. Gee, what was uh, what was your goal for this? So yeah, the studio model shoot is really Patrick Myers, the driving force behind this, one of the CPI members. And what he tries to do is organize every four to six weeks an opportunity for those members who want to work on sort of uh, strobe skills, large light skills, or working with model skills when they may not necessarily have the equipment, the experience, or the location to do it. He tries to provide that. So I've been working with him recently a lot more, and he works on the on the model end, so he brings the model, schedules it, and I'm starting to work more on the lighting end. So this time we wanted to set up three different lighting pods, and it actually turned into four by the end of the night. But the idea is members can come in, um, they pay a fee, which part of the money goes to the CPI and part of it goes to the models that we hire, and they get a chance to sort of play, experiment, learn what it's like to shoot with multiple large strobes and a professional model. So I love the event. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's a great opportunity for people who may not be able to do this on a regular basis. And it, it's a great way to sort of practice skills to realize if this is what you want to do before you make that large cash investment and, and time investment in terms of learning that. Now, you, you put a little twist on it this month where you had a prep workshop that was ahead of it, basically a prequel. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Sure. When Patrick and I were talking at the end of last year, we, we were saying that the Model workshops are a great way to practice a lot of these skills, but not necessarily the best way to learn them because there's always, when you have the, the model in front of you, you only have about 10, 15 minutes to work with that one model at that time. There's a little bit of pressure to, to sort of get a shot in that time. So if you're brand new, we noticed a lot of brand new folks would just come in, grab the, the trigger from someone, click, 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 and hand it off to somebody else without really understanding the process of what was going on. So for the next few months, we will be offering these prep workshops where you can hopefully learn some of these skills. So we're, I've got four or five different subjects in mind, and then each time, about an hour before the model shoot, we'll take some time and, and focus on just one subject. And hopefully that's where people can learn the skills and then turn around and apply them uh, right afterwards. That's not the only skill set that I really appreciate about this model shoot, too, because more and more as I've attended these, I've, I've come to appreciate that what the models can teach me about working with portrait subjects. And we had some great models this time. Do you want to give a shout out to any of those guys, G? Sure. And this is, you know, thumbs up to Patrick on this one. He works really hard to try to get different uh, experience models, but different looks and different attitudes. And I think he did a great job this time. We've got Ashley, Julia, and Lauren uh, joined us, and, and they were great. They were helpful. They were very energetic, and I think were, gave the participants lots of different things to work with. And we're looking to get some, some great models for the next time we have this as well. Yeah, I'd also like to thank Patrick, too. He's uh, one of our CPI supporters who's really stepped up to put these workshops together, and he's done a dynamite, dynamite job, and I know they're really well-received, and I want to thank him and thank everybody who's participating with us. It's been great. It, I love it. I, I can't wait for the next one myself. Uh, well, that's not the only thing that's been going on of late. There was an Adobe Camera Raw supporter workshop that was hosted by Nick, and uh, I didn't get to go to this. Nick, tell me a little bit about what happened there. Yeah, this was a, a really cool workshop. I try to keep the supporter workshops really quick and dirty because we want the supporter workshops to stand out from our paid workshops. So part of that's kind of this, I guess, like unsaid handshake deal where the instructor um, either just goes through the content really quickly or just keeps things kind of 
a surface level. And that's what I did. I really I walked through my workflow um, really quickly. I talked to a lot of the functions in Adobe Camera Raw. I think just even opening up Adobe Camera Raw is the biggest eye-opener for so many people because I would say 75% of people that I talked to about Adobe Camera Raw, they just kind of stare through me and they're like, oh, yeah, I have that. And then when I'm like, okay, let's you know work in Raw, and then we go to pull it up and they're like, well, I thought it was just Photoshop. And I was like, no, 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 there's this whole other program hidden in Bridge. So just getting there and showing people uh, how to quickly call images down, organize them, make some baseline edits was great. And um, I really like these supporter workshops. We try to keep them right under an hour, and we try to keep it a big open discussion. So I'm constantly taking breaks, constantly talking to people about what they, getting feedback from them, and then applying it to the lessons. And um, I, I just, I'm looking forward to keeping forward to these supporter workshops. And I hope some other folks jump in. Hint, hint, wink, wink to anybody <laughs> uh, with these uh, supporter workshops. I was thinking about doing one maybe in February, like a simple window light um, supporter workshop, maybe where I'll, I'll get like a big uh, translucent piece of material and try to simulate window light and just like some quick posing and stuff like that. Um, it's but clever. It's good. You know, it's kind of difficult with the uh, the CPI, with like the large member base and keeping everybody entertained um, to be engaged. And I think between the supporter workshops and um, the monthly shoot-offs, that's, we're doing a pretty good job and we're keeping an, enough people interested and involved. So uh, looking forward to keeping on with that and I hope some more folks lend a hand and teach some supporter workshops. As do I. I look forward to attending them. And as I look forward to 2012 and what's coming up in the future, I actually look forward to meeting Elisa because Elisa is going to be teaching a workshop for us very soon. Elisa, you are a, a Charlottesville wedding photographer and you are going to be teaching business for the artist, form your business, free your passion. That sounds very good. Tell me about this. Yeah, I'd love to tell you a little bit about it. Um, this is actually a workshop that Edward and I are planning together. Um, my husband Edward and I shoot all of our weddings as a husband and wife team. And we also operate our business as a team. Um, I have a background in the arts um, and he has a, an education in business and a great head for it. Um, and in actor, in interacting with a lot of, of photographers over the past few years, we've realized what a dynamic duo this is, that not many people who have a head for, for art and who are passionate about what they create also have a support system um, so that they can run their business well. Uh, so we've designed this workshop, which is happening Tuesday, February 21st at 6 p.m., um, to to help aid people who are just really passionate about what they do and want to spend less time at the computer. They want to spend more time doing what they love. That's, that describes almost every photographer, I think. I think so. I really yeah, think absolutely. Like, there's, there's some really key things that we can do to help people – uh, help photographers specifically identify areas where they're, um, you know, spending spending too much of their time doing things that they're not passionate about or that you know aren't aren't profitable for their business. And that's true. And if they're spending too much time doing that, they're not making enough beautiful art, which means their business is affected, and they might give up quicker or perhaps not be as well. If you were to pick out perhaps one kind of photographer who should attend this workshop, who would that be? Who needs this? 
Well, Gina, I think this workshop is perfect for the emerging artist, for the photographer who is setting up their business, establishing their brand, and they're running into all sorts of programs and people who um, who can help them or who can hinder them. Because um, we'll be sharing some of the things, the programs, and and the time-saving solutions that we've found that have really helped us streamline and grow our business in the last three years. So what can they take away from this, you think, of if, uh, as far as the goals of the workshop for the average photographer? What are they going to get out of this? Yeah, well, our goals, we have, we have a few goals for this workshop. We want to help them build a better business because we realize that a lot of these people are, are very inspired photographers and they know what they want to go out and do. So we want to empower them to do that by, by eliminating, um, but by really streamlining uh, their office processes and um, eliminating workflow waste is going to be something that we focus on. Um, what kinds of things are, are people doing over and over that they could be saving time on? Another thing is structuring your time, setting aside office hours, scheduling social media, designating certain times of days for for shooting or for meetings, for email or phone calls so you don't wind up you know, strung out throughout the day doing those things that really bog you down. I think that's that's an excellent uh, subject matter for a lot of people. I know I find myself scattered and trying to feed the digital mouths all the time. And mm -hmm. if I was put it together and a little, be, be a little bit more streamlined in my approach, I might be shooting a bit more myself. I look forward to attending it, Elisa. I do, I do look forward to meeting you as well. Before we sign off, Elisa, just some quick questions for you. And I don't want you to unfold your workshop, obviously, too much. But what are some good lessons learned maybe that you can hint at or you can talk about just briefly that'll be um, – part of this workshop that, that you and Edward went through, you know, in your beginning years as a business? Yeah, I would say as the, as the beginning as a photographer and a business owner, it was very hard to, to find ways to balance the two. And um, one of the things we look back on and realize is that having conversations with other photographers was really helpful. And we're hoping that that the workshop is going to provide some of that, that we'll be able to talk about what we've learned along the way in order to help people avoid those pitfalls themselves and kind of lift them up to the to where they're trying to go. That's excellent. And b before we close off and, and give the final plug, is there anything else you'd like to talk about with the workshop? Um, I think that one of the things that we really want people to take away um, and that, that Edward's really going to focus on because he has this background in business and this head for numbers is that we want people to know, you know, what, what is the value of their time? Because we want people to have a good quality of life and have more time to do what they love. So they need to put a value on their time, figure out what their expenses are and what they need to earn in order to, to really um, make ends meet. Not even make ends meet, but do well. Um, so really focusing in on that and, and letting people take that away and, and go home and do that themselves. One quick plug I'll make for this, and I'm attending the workshop and I'm really excited about it. And as someone Yay. who just started the business, I've taken a lot of business classes in the past year, year and a half from lots of different places. But this will be the first time coming from another photographer, and it'll be nice to hear, to not have to convert what someone's saying into the photography business because you you live it every single day. So I think for photographers out there, this is a really unique way to hear from another photographer about the business and their 
and as someone who's looked very hard, there aren't a whole lot of local opportunities to do that. So I'm really excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. And to piggyback off what G said, I mean, if you look at the spread of periodicals or books or anything uh, on business and photography, there's only like one or two that jump to mind. I think many people have read the John Harrington book, but I know a ton of people that read that and just get totally lost in it. And then the other one we talk about a lot here is Vision Mongers. And I think Vision Mongers just kind of does a touch and go on the business aspect. So I think this will be a great chance for our supporters and for anybody else in the community to get involved to really get that uh, one-to-one experience and be able to pair it up with a lot of things that's going on in their lives and a lot of their aspirations. And that's that. <laughs> <laughs> and tickets are still available, and you're welcome to come, and we hope you do. It's uh, February 21st, Tuesday. That's at 6 o'clock at the Charlottesville Photography Initiative. $50. A lot of knowledge available to you from uh, Elisa and Edward Bricker. Uh, now, knowledge is good. Saving money is also very, very good as well. And, and <laughs> it also brings me back to the, the first time I ever met Nick. And this was way back in the very beginnings of our organization, and it's the first thing he ever taught me how to do. And it was how to clean the sensor on my camera. And he's going to revisit this very important, very money-saving lesson on another uh, meetup on February 1st. You want to talk a little bit about the DSLR care and sensor cleaning workshop, Nick? Absolutely. But before I do, do you still remember how to clean your sensor? I do. I still do it. Then I'm a fantastic instructor. What can I say? What can I say? I I put my cameras through so much. Yes, they need to be cleaned a lot. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I don't want to frame this workshop uh, as saving money. That's like another byproduct of it. What I really want to frame this workshop as is getting familiar with your equipment. I think a lot of photographers um, can maybe understand exposure uh, being ISO shutter speed and aperture. Um, they might know what some of the focusing modes and some of the exposure modes are within the camera, but I really want people to know the camera inside and out. I think when you finally take that lens off and start cleaning the sensor and cleaning the mirror and cleaning the pentaprism and all the optics inside there, it just gives you uh, a little more insight as to how that camera works and maybe makes you a better photographer in the process. So um, on Wednesday, February 1st at 7 p.m., I'm going to be teaching uh, DSLR care and this sensor cleaning. And uh, what we're going to do is I'm trying to keep the class small. I don't have the, the browser up right now, but I believe I limited the class to about a dozen students. And if you look at the description, there's actually two kits that I'm asking you guys to buy. I want people to come equipped there so that when we teach the workshop, they can clean their sensor and they can do it themselves and they can walk away and they can repeat the process, much like Gina can now. Yes. <laughs> and and I, I, Sorry, go ahead. Uh, and I'm going to be cheap and say I love saving the money. That's $45 at a, at a shop to get that done, and I don't pay for that anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So most most of the time you spend exactly, like you said, 45 or $50 at a camera store to get your camera cleaned. So the, camera, the workshop itself is only $25. And uh, imagine how many times a year you do that. Plus, not to mention, too, uh, we're hopefully going to equip you with a skill that you can carry forward. I know personally before any kind of paid shoot, I always do at least a dry cleaning to my camera, which takes just a couple seconds. And um, I think even taking another step back, getting people cognizant about sensor dust, um, I, I'll just give you a quick for instance, I was out at uh, March Air Force Base um, over January for my UTA weekend, and we did a uh, some studio model stuff where we were shooting each other under studio lights. And no kidding, everybody's camera once was set to F11 and it was against a white seamless. It looked like a shotgun had hit the back. There was like <laughs> dust and dirt everywhere. And I pointed it out to people and they're like, well, what is this? And I'm like, well, you know, what do you guys think it is? And they're like, is this dust and dirt? I'm like, yeah. And, you know, so many people just uh, aren't cognizant of it and, and making people aware of that and then how to mitigate it 
and then how to take good care of your camera from going you know, going forward is uh, such a such an invaluable skill. Actually, more that I talk about this, I, I think I should raise the price on this workshop. What do you guys think? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Maybe in the future though, but for now, it'll be twenty five bucks. It's a very valuable skill set. I recommend anybody going. I have older gear, so I, I know I use this skill set over and over again. So I recommend it highly. And I'm going to go again just for the practice. Cool. Looking forward to it. Right on. Uh, well, we've done a lot of work here. It's time to move to the panel discussion. And I love the question that uh, was brought up for the panel discussion this time. And it, it, it pertains to black and white versus color photography. And uh, I want to get everybody's opinion about this. And it's especially interested in you portrait photographers. And the question really is, is why do you make photos in black and white or color? What's your choice? What's your, what's your decision-making list when you decide whether something's going to be black and white? Is it a deliberate choice? Do you just get an energy, a feeling about it? Is it conditions that you're trying to um, uh, display? What, what are your thoughts? I guess we can start with G. G, what are your thoughts when you're shooting color versus black and white? I was really hoping I was going to go last because I actually wanted to hear what everyone else has to say about this because I have this question oh all the time. So I'm going to I'm going to sit back, listen to what everyone else says, and then come up with an answer real quick. Well, let's 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 listen to Elisa then. Okay, I'll I'll volunteer actually. Look I'll at you. Um, I'm I I tend to be very intuitive about how I choose um, black and white versus color. Um, I don't have a set formula. But that said, I mean, when we photograph a wedding, we do provide a mix of color and black and white to our clients. Uh, generally, I find that I'm, I'm, I'm turning black and white what I want to be more emotive, more romantic. Um, and I don't turn detail shots or family portraits black and white. I leave all of those color because I feel like they read better in color. Um, and family portraits in particular, um, I leave color because um, that's usually the way that family want to order them is in color. But black and white, I think, is, is beautiful, is gorgeous. And, and I tend to just, mm, I just move towards it at whim. <laughs> you, you just feel it, right? Yeah, I do. I do. There's nothing wrong with that. I think there's an energy. It t some You'll look at an image sometimes and it will tell you what it's supposed to be, whether mm -hmm. it's supposed to be color or black and white. At least that's how it happens with me anyway. Now, Nick, do you have the same opinion about this? Do you just sort of feel it? Yeah, that's actually interesting what um, what Elisa mentioned about family photos. I never thought of it in, in framing like that. But yeah, there's there's some feeling that gets involved with me. But I also, I guess like anything else in my life, I have a structure and a rigidity too <laughs> that I and a checklist that I follow. And um, for for some photographs, I'll turn black and white if I'm dealing with mixed lighting. So, for instance, if I'm if I'm working with a strobe in, inside of a building that has tungsten lights and has fluorescent lights, and then it also has uh, windows coming in, has natural light coming in, then the color balance is just going to be way off. Mm -hmm. And when the color balance goes off, you the the message of the photo can sometimes get muddy. So to be able to clean that up, I'll make it black and white. And uh, for instance. Every time I'm shooting a bride, it seems like inside of their bridal suite where they're they're getting ready, I seem to always shoot at these Marriotts with these like tiny like <laughs> fortress windows, you know, that you can just like barely put a rifle out of or something. So there'll be this blue backlight, and then if I'm shooting into them, then I'll have my strobe bouncing off, and that's usually calibrated with uh, whatever tungsten bulbs are in there. And then there'll always be you know the fluorescent light in the background that's part of the. Um, where the bathroom is, so I'll, I'll usually make that black and white, for instance. And then same thing too with uh, with party pictures. 
Um, I usually make those black and white too because there's just so many of them and they're just going in succession and there's no way that I can color balance each one of those individually. And plus, I just, you know, I know people that are, I, I know that people are drawn to black and white. I'm certainly drawn to black and white myself. And, um, and also too, I'll make black and white photos if I want to clean up the visual space within them. Um, I think as Elisa mentioned, you know, color has like a certain tone and a certain mood and a voice to it. And if I want to focus my subjects more on, you know, something uh, singular, then I can take out the color in it and then they can focus more on the subject, on the lines, on the contrast. Um, and that's my answer. I'm happy to pick up discussion where everybody, anybody <laughs> wants to go from there. I agree with you about the certain conditions, situations when you're shooting and you want to flip to black and white. I do a lot of performance photography. Sometimes it's with uh, performers with fantastic stage lighting and sometimes it's not. So uh, I, there's certain venues in Charlottesville, for example, I know that I, when I walk through the door, I'm going to be shooting black and white because the, the, the white balance is just going to go out of its mind. But I, I tend to, to, to sort, I, 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 took note of a few quotes before this because I was thinking about how I felt about it. And I, Ted Grant's quote came the closest, the closest to making sense to me. And his was, when you photograph, photograph people in color, you photograph their clothes. But when you photograph people in black and white, you photograph their souls. Now, it's not all literal and it's not necessarily supposed to rhyme, but I do sort of feel that. I feel like when I want to take a look at something more intimately, I am more apt to flip it black and white for that, just because I want no distraction. And, and that's how I feel it. Yeah, now, and G color is not necessarily a distraction, but it's a message. And, you know, what are these colors telling you? Like if you have a photo and, and someone's in it and they have a big red background, like yeah. that's emitting power or rage. You know, that has all those subtleties that go with it. Same thing, too, with the clothing that they're wearing. It's stimulating you in somehow, and you better be sure that that's how you want it to be done. That's sure. Now, G, what are your thoughts? Okay, I think I've had some time to come up with an answer. <laughs> But and I think I think and as much as I want there to be you know a formula a checklist for this for me I don't think there is and I think that kind of freaks me out a little bit about it. <laughs> but I think it is a, an intuitive thing for me and and a lot of the pictures I try both ways. If I'm if I'm at a if it's a self project that I'm just kind of playing around with to see which one I like better and then I kind of go with it from there. I, I think you guys everyone's right in terms of color is another design element that just adds to the message so you can either use it or you can take it away and taking it away will will draw your eye to something else or will help simplify your message and i think that's why a lot of people um the, like the the quote you mentioned about the soul it, it's easier to 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 get more into a photo i think that's black and white because there's less there distracting you there's less there drawing your eye so it it's intuitive for me I wish it wasn't, but I think it is, and, I, and I'm trying to be okay with that. See, that's what I like about it, is that it's intuitive. See, ah, that, that's yin and yang. See, I, I like it that way. I shoot by feel. That's kind of how I always let, have Let me ask you guys this, too. What do you guys think about, so I do this, too, with black and white. This is another checklist item. If I find a blurry photograph that I really like, I'm drawn usually to make that color. I'm sorry, black and white. I could see that, yeah. To, to tighten it up just a little bit, yeah. I yeah, I think when people see blurry photographs, or like they're immediately going preconceived notion about it. Like if it's um, someone they're gonna, I'm trying to like frame this correctly, but let me just say it's like a professional looking at this. Like why is this photograph blurry? And then you can, uh, you know, they're either thinking about shutter speeds or what kind of strobe is used or whatnot. But um, focusing people back on that content, and I think that when I um, when you have a blurry photograph and it does have color inside of it, it's, it's a really like big visual kind of um, mess and mix. Uh, that's which is not to say that I haven't seen it done right. It's just a tendency that I have. 
it asks a lot of the viewer and sometimes it doesn't ask too much but it does ask a lot of the viewer to process to 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 see the message you're trying to send even if there is movement in there yeah i could see that i do that i didn't realize that i'd done that until you brought that up but i definitely do see i'm not the only crazy one you guys all have checklists in your head and you just <laughs> not well, down <laughs> Nick, none of us have the checklist you have in your right. head. Right. Mine just sits right on my knee all the time. He has a checklist for his checklist. Exactly. <laughs> well, this was a great podcast, guys. I looked forward. I, I definitely enjoyed meeting you, Elisa, and it was always fun, as always, to talk to G and to Nick. Uh, we had a great couple of things coming up this month I want to remind you about. Of course, we have the business for you, the artist, form your business, free your passion with Elisa Bricker and her husband, Edward. That's February 21st at 6 o'clock, $50 at the CPI. You can find out more on the website and of course the DSLR care and sensor cleaning workshop with Nick that's February 1st at 7 o'clock at the CPI that's $25 and you're going to need to purchase a cleaning kit ahead of that Uh, but beyond that we've got a a lot of activities on the pike so you want to make sure you're paying attention to the website I'd like to thank the panel once again G, Nick as well as Elisa and most of all thank you guys for joining us today You can learn more about the Charlottesville Photography Initiative by visiting us online at cphotoi.org or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Membership is $40 a year. That qualifies you for events, education, networking, and community outreach opportunities, and lots of fun, too. We look forward to seeing you again in February, and don't forget to rate us on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this cast. And in the meantime, keep shooting, everybody.